Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. An incredibly deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. With LinkedIn ads, you'll be able to target over 70 million decision makers all in one place. No deep voice required. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. Terms and conditions apply. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning. It's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. (laughs) Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. You're listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. We have to keep in mind that the Black community is not monolithic and that there are people with wide-ranging views and opinions within the Black community. And for us to have any amount of credibility, we need to make sure that we have that balance in the reporting that we provide. Hi, I'm Bob Pittman, and welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. On this episode, we're going to hear from one of my colleagues at iHeart, someone who truly rose through the ranks and is one who led the team that created one of our most important new products, the only full-time news service for the black community, the Black Information Network. He's Tony Coles, the president of Black Information Network and also a division president overseeing 156 radio stations in 21 markets across America. Tony has a story of a painfully shy kid who lived on a farm in an incredibly small town in Ohio, who managed to overcome that shyness and become an on-air radio personality and create an impressive career in radio. He moved on to the programming side of things from being talent and then joined the senior management ranks in programming and finally took over an entire group of markets and stations as a division president. He believes in the power of mentoring in both business and in our society. He had parents that helped shape his success, and he brings insights we all need to hear. His great-grandfather was a slave in this country, and his family even settled in Ohio through the power of the Underground Railroad. Farming was a way of life in his family, and 4-H was even an important part of his life. Tony, welcome. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here. We have so much to talk about today and stuff you and I don't regularly explore. But first, I want to do you in 60 seconds. You ready? Ready. Do you prefer cats or dogs? Cats. Salty or sweet? Sweet. Country or city? City. Country music or top 40? Country music. Call or text? Text. AM or FM? Love them both, but I'm going to go with FM. On the mic or behind the scenes? Behind the scenes every time. It's about to get harder. Smartest person you know. I'm blessed to know a lot of smart folks, but I'm going to lean into Greg Ashlock, who runs our markets group. Favorite radio station? WNCI in Columbus. That was the big motivator. What was your favorite animal on the farm? Probably our horses. Childhood hero? My dad. Favorite band or artist? Probably going to go with Tim McGraw. First job? WHIZ in Zanesville, Ohio. Secret talent? A lot of people don't know about my cooking obsession, but cooking. 
What topic can you talk about forever? Thanksgiving dinner for hours. <laughs> okay. Tony, let's start with the biggest breakthrough in our company and our industry in quite a while, the Black Information Network. 24 hours of news serving the black community. It's on digital on the iHeartRadio app and over the air on almost all of our markets where we have large black communities, including New York, Atlanta, Miami, San Francisco, Detroit, Houston, Philly, and dozens more. It also is the source of news for over a hundred of our hip hop, R&B, and gospel stations. And it's also carried on some stations that iHeart doesn't own. It's local, national, and international news. Tell us how you describe Black Information Network and what's so unusual about it. The Black Information Network is first and foremost a news network that comes from the Black perspective. When you have everyone from the writers to the reporters to the anchors telling stories, not necessarily from their point of view, but from their perspective, it makes a difference. And more importantly, we're sourcing stories that mainstream newsrooms would never tell only because they lack the diversity to bring some of these stories to light. And in the most diverse of those newsrooms, those black voices don't always have the loudest voice in the room to make sure that those stories come to life. Talk about some examples, Tony. I know you use one with the war in Ukraine. Can you give us that one? Yeah, when, when the war first broke out, there were a number of blacks and minorities who were having a hard time fleeing the country for their own safety. And we wanted to cover that perspective because it's not just about black life in America, but black life overall. And our team fortunately was able to contact a black reporter who was actually on the ground in Ukraine very quickly. So not only were we able to bring his perspective to an international crisis, but also to hear the stories of what was happening to minorities in that country in time of war was just incredibly insightful. And to be able to get that on very quickly was something we were proud of. When you talk about delivering news from the Black perspective, you also have features as well. Can you talk a little bit about what some of those features are and the range of topics that you cover? We really want to make sure that we're engaging, entertaining, informing. And I think that uh, one that stands out to me is, uh, I bet you didn't know, with Tariq Lowe. We hear so many comments both within and outside the Black community because what he does is take historic facts, things that, that are little known to most people, either about people who were Black and, uh, and made life-changing either inventions or creations or changed the course of history. And a lot of people didn't know that they were African-Americans who were doing that. Or they were just little-known historic facts that often don't show up in your typical history book. Talk to me a little bit about the style of journalism. You know, you and I spent a lot of time in the development of this and going back and forth about where our place would be. Contrast it to the kind of news that we are sort of in the headlines today as people talk about what's going on in the, in the news media business. We've assembled a team that not only has, you know, brand new journalists who are bringing not only a fresh perspective, but a fresh set of eyes and, and ideas to the newsroom and pairing them up with veteran journalists, award-winning TV reporters, and watching the interaction and the, the flow of ideas and content. It really not only makes sure that the content that we have on the air runs the gamut in appeal to all ages and backgrounds. But it's also great to see some of these budding journalists developing in their own career because they have great role models within our newsroom. You know, one of the things I'm proudest of, and I know you are too, in the style of journalism you do, is that you really work on treating the audience as intelligent decision makers with an idea that if you give them enough information, hopefully all the information, they'll make good decisions. And you seem to avoid the temptation 
to somehow get people's blood pressure up in hopes of getting them more engaged, quote unquote, around engaged. How tough has that been in a world in which, you know, that's turning out probably to be more the norm than not? It's certainly a challenge, but it was really important to us from day one. We looked at why someone else hadn't done this before, quite honestly. And and the reality is that so many of the the gimmicks and the tactics that that a lot of news organizations uh, have resorted to over the years is exactly why a lot of people had turned away from news and were beginning to believe the fake news narrative because it was really hard for them to know what to trust and what not to trust, who to trust and who not to. And we wanted to make sure that from day one, we were building a product that was unbiased. And also, we have to keep in mind that the Black community is not monolithic and that there are people with wide-ranging views and opinions within the Black community. And for us to have any amount of credibility, we need to make sure that we have that balance in the reporting that we provide. And I think for a lot of our reporters, that was something that they hadn't experienced in other newsrooms. And the question of what angle do you want me to take with this? What opinion should I have on this? Was a refreshing conversation when we said, just tell the the truth, present the facts. And it gave them uh, the opportunity to start bringing new ideas and new stories to the network because they suddenly realized they could report on what is interesting to the black community, not what a focus group says their opinion of a story should be. You know, as you and I talked early on in the development of of Black Information Network, one of the challenges of doing any news product today that's advertiser-supported is that if you're advertiser-supported, ratings matter. And the best way to get ratings is to get people worked up because the normal cycle of news is that when there's a really big story, you get a lot of listeners. And when there's really nothing going on, you don't get so many listeners. It is peaks and valleys. And a lot of news organizations want to fill those valleys, understandably. And we uh, went with a new model of founding partners versus advertisers, in which we went to a group of companies and said, here's this mission to create this important service for the black community, but we need to free them from the need to chase ratings, and we want them to be able to do what they do best, which is really focus on informing the community and creating a trusted news source. Very important. And by the way, let me give them a shout out because I think these are incredibly important companies that stepped up to say, yes, we believe in this mission. We're going to be there as a founding partner. Bank of America, Verizon, CVS, Lowe's, 23andMe, McDonald's, Geico, and Sony. So BIN is in service to the black community. What impact are you having? And, And can you give us a couple of stories? Absolutely. One of the things that's really important to us is that we're not only reporting on the headlines, but we're having an impact and a positive impact on the black community. And I think of so many of the the stories that our reporters have brought to us. Uh, Vanessa Tyler came to us with an idea of doing a special that was completely about the missing black women all across America that weren't getting attention. And she highlighted those. And we've now incorporated much of that content on an ongoing basis. I think about what we're doing right now in our effort to help 100,000 Black listeners either upskill into new careers, find new careers, or completely change their perspective on work. The partnership that we're doing with CareerBuilder right now that's focused on getting Black Americans into more powerful positions and better opportunities. Those are just two things that that come to mind, but we've done so many things to have a positive outcome for our community. Tony, I think all of us who are not part of the black community would benefit from hearing stories that are a part of the black family's narratives. You have a very powerful family narrative going back to your great-grandfather. Would you mind sharing that with us? Sure. I have to start with the fact that, you know, when you think of some of the things that have happened in uh, related to social justice over the past few years, 
there's this movement, there's this energy around the history of Black people in America. And I think what a lot of people lose sight of is it wasn't that long ago that people were escaping slavery and the long-term impact that slavery has had. Uh, When I think back to my own family and, you know, my great-grandfather being one of the last slaves in America, my grandfather being one of the first people uh, in my family who was able to to read and to, to learn to read legally, and my father being the first person in our family to actually go to school, and then my sister and I being the first people in our family to be able to graduate high school and, and go to college. Just a few generations from slavery is something that, that I think about uh, quite often. Let's stay on your background. You grew up in a small Ohio town. I think the population was 500 people. Very small. Your dad was an oil driller. Your mom worked on the family's farm. You were in 4-H. Uh, You were active on the school newspaper. Paint a picture for us of growing up in the 70s and 80s in that really small town, obviously rural environment. I don't want to make it sound too Norman Rockwell, but in many ways, it it really was. It was just a wonderful experience for me uh, growing up in a small town. Obviously, we were the only black family in our town, so that presented some some unique situations. but, But more than anything... It was such a learning experience. Uh, You learn the value of hard work. Your view of the world is is different. When you grow up uh, around 500 people, every family knows every other family. There's a genuine concern for your neighbors, uh, and especially in, in the farming communities, because anything that impacts one farm impacts another. And so you have a lot of shared experiences, no matter how different you are. You know, most people listening probably don't even know what 4-H is. I grew up in Mississippi, I do. Tell us about 4-H and what impact that had on you. 4-H was absolutely pivotal for me uh, and impactful. Uh, and, and if you're not familiar with it, I often refer to it as the, the farming version of Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. You have uh, youth that come together starting at the age of eight. And every year you can pick one project or you can pick multiple projects and it can run anything from, you know, for me, it was raising animals to forestry to public speaking. And uh, and throughout the year, you have these projects that you work on. And then at the annual county fair, you present your final projects uh, and, and, you know, you compete for awards. And there was always an impact to your community that was a focal point of so many of the projects that we all worked on. So uh, it it helps you grow and develop, and it helps your community be a better place at the same time. You thought you were going to be a park ranger or a Methodist minister, I read. By the way, my dad was a Methodist minister, so I'm really interested in why did you think those were going to be your career opportunities? Well, uh, because park rangers and ministers are so closely related to one another. Uh, you know, we were a very religious household. We were very active in our church. Um, we were in the church on on an ongoing basis. And, you know, it was something that, that really spoke to me. I, I enjoyed everything in the church. Uh, and so that was, uh, that was a, something that intrigued me. And, and actually, one of my best friends from childhood uh, today is... Uh, a Methodist minister. But uh, at the same time, through 4-H, uh, you know, I was a, a summer camp counselor. Before that, I was, you know, a summer camper. You know, we did a lot of work uh, around forestry. Uh, one of one of the summers, I planted 400 trees in, in a vacant lot. And, uh, and so spending that much time outdoors in nature and, and, you know, working in the parks as a part of 4-H, it was something that I enjoyed uh, tremendously, and uh, and so those two fields were highly intriguing to me until uh, the concept of radio was introduced to my life. So let's let's make the connection here now with radio. You have a great story about how your dad pushed you into your first job, and uh, really had a a way of thinking about when you went to work. Can you tell us that story? Sure. So so my father grew up during the Great Depression. As part of a very big family, his father had a rule in place in their house 
that uh, anyone that was in the house by age 12 needed to be paying rent or, or get out. They just couldn't afford to feed all those mouths. And so uh, my dad, from my earliest memories, told me that I was going to get a reprieve until I was 16, but I had to either get a job when I was 16 or, or leave home. And, uh, and, and I, you know, like most kids, never really thought much about it until one day I came home from school and there were boxes in my room. And when I asked my dad about it, uh, he said, well, you're almost 16 and I don't see you looking for work. So I want to at least help you pack your stuff so you can get out. Now, to this day, I don't think that my dad would have kicked me out. But uh, as, as a 15-year-old, I wasn't ready to find out. Uh, and so I very quickly started looking for, for work anywhere I could. And uh, about a week after this, uh, this moment, the program director for uh, WHIZ came to speak uh, at our school career day. And I was fascinated by what he did. But I was more terrified that if I didn't get a job, I was going to be homeless. So I walked up to him and said, I need a job. Do you have any jobs? And uh, luckily for me, they had a, a, an opening for a, uh, you know, I, ca I call it a gopher at the time, uh, where literally anything that you needed in the radio station, they needed somebody to help with. And, and I was that kid. And so I, uh, I took a job after school. Uh, working at the lo local radio station, and uh, and had it not been for my dad's strong encouragement to find a job, uh, I may not have uh, found my way into that radio station. So looking back, how do you think your parents shaped who you are today? I tell people all the time that I owe everything to to both of them. Uh, you know, obviously my my father for not only the work ethic that I learned from him by watching him over the years. Uh, but by him pushing me uh, to get a job, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very thankful that the stars aligned for that. And then my mom, she is the one who uh, recognized how shy I was, and and I mean painfully shy. And uh, and she is the one who prompted and pushed and prodded me into learning the importance of public speaking, learning the importance of of interacting with with other kids. Because I was that kid that, you know, if I could have sat in the woods or, or read my Bible, that's what I was going to do. But she's the one that, that said, you have to break out of this mold. And so between the two of them, I, I owe everything to them. More on math and magic right after this quick break. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So, buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So, how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. 
OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome back to Math & Magic. Let's hear more from my conversation with Tony Coles. Let's go back to your radio career. Everyone I know on the radio has some twist of fate that landed them that first on-air job. You've got one, too. What's your story? So Pete Petoniak, who was the, the program director at that radio station, called my house one, uh, one Saturday morning. And this was back during the days where stations signed off at midnight. They signed on at 6 a.m. And he was in the hospital with an appendicitis attack and was frantically searching for anyone to go in and sign on the station and, and do the morning show, which he normally did. And uh, I was the last person that he called and the first person who answered the phone. And, you know, I had no clue what I was doing. I, you know, I was the, the Aaron kid at the time. And he's like, I just need you to go in and I don't care what you do, but play the legal ID and play the commercials and just cover until someone can get there. And I went in uh, and proceeded to have what I am sure to this day is the worst air shift <laughs> in the history of radio. But I was mortified. I assumed that that was the end of my job and I was going to be homeless at that point. But uh, what shocked me was the general manager and the owner of the radio station called a few days later and said, hey, you know, we want to teach you how to be a DJ. And I said, you clearly didn't hear what happened. And he said, no, we heard. And it was bad. But what we could tell was you were really trying. And we think that if you can try that hard, if we show you what to actually do, you could be good at this. And, um, you know, again, I, I think back to the mentors in my life and I look at that moment. There was absolutely no reason uh, that they needed to take that leap of faith. Uh, but they saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Uh, and they they trained me. And before you knew it, I was sitting in that studio and I actually realized that people did that for a living. And that was the moment where I'm like, I don't want to do anything else but be in a radio station. You know, you had some really good jobs on the air. You moved around uh, market to market, grew in bigger markets. But how did you move from being on-air talent to behind the scenes in programming a radio station? So I was on in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I was on a top 40 station that was competing with what is now uh, one of the iHeart stations in WNCI, the station that I listened to growing up and idolizing, and, and I was across the street competing. And new manager came in who hired a new program director who fired everybody on the air and, and was going to bring in their own staff. And I remember so many things about that moment because uh, it was the biggest market I'd worked in at the time. Uh, I loved the job. I loved the people that I worked with. But what struck me more than anything uh, was the program director at WNCI a guy named Dave Robbins. He was our mortal enemy. We hated him. He was just a fierce competitor. But within 24 hours of our air staff being fired, Dave had called every single person at home. We had no idea how he even got our numbers, but he called every single person and he said, hey, I've been in your shoes. Uh, come over to our station, You know, make your demo tapes. If you need to make phone calls, you can use our phones. Whatever you need to find a job, uh, come see us. And so I 
took him up on the offer. But the thing that struck me the most was within the first few minutes, I saw the way that Dave was interacting with his air staff. I saw the way that he was interacting with the people in the building. And more than anything, I saw the passion that he had for what he did. And in that moment, I just I walked up to him and I said, I know I came over here to make demo tapes, but I actually think I want to do what you do. And he was so passionate about being a manager and being a leader that he sat down with me for two hours and told me everything about why he loved his job. And from that moment on, I wanted to do that. You continued to rise in the programming ranks. You had a lot of successes. You eventually became one of our company's executive vice presidents of programming, covering the radio stations, the markets, and the west part of the country. And then you had the opportunity to go to the business side from what I think all of us in programming would say is the creative side and be a division president, overseeing a P&L of one of the company's divisions, about $400 million in revenue, 21 markets across America. Why was that of interest to you? One of the things that I loved the most and enjoyed the most on the programming side was seeing the impact that the programming leads have on people and the things that you can accomplish and more than anything, the innovation that can happen. But what I noticed was the division presidents and other positions in the leadership team had far more impact because you weren't isolated to just one area of a radio station or one area of the company. And the more time that I spent uh, talking to division presidents and, and other leaders, I noticed that exact same excitement and passion that Dave Robbins had. And so to me, moving from the creative side to the business side, obviously there are some differences, but more than anything, it's an opportunity to have a, a greater impact. And I'm so excited that I made the leap. What surprised you most about moving from the creative side to the business side? I would say that uh, one of the surprises was that so many of the challenges that we faced on the programming side happen in all other parts of the company. And while it may be off the air, you're still dealing with personalities. Uh, you're still dealing with the need to come up with ideas. And as I started interacting with more clients and, and meeting with more clients, that was both the surprising and the refreshing thing that I realized in that on the air, you're trying to sell people your radio station. You're trying to sell them on a new artist or a new song. And for our clients, uh, they're trying to sell new ideas and new products. But the thought process that goes into the creative work that we do on the programming side is exactly what you need when you're trying to help clients market their businesses. Let's go back to Black Information Network. Before the pandemic, we as a company were looking for new products. You took on an additional role of leading the effort with a, with a few of our other really talented senior executives in the company to develop a new kind of news service, one we were talking about, which became Black Information Network. And we led up to the pandemic with this on the development cycle. Things were looking good. Pandemic hits. As you remember, everyone remembers revenue, advertising revenue goes down. Every company responds by reducing cost. We put every development product on hold. And then we have the George Floyd murder. You call me and you say, Bob, I know we don't have any extra money. I know we put everything on hold. We need to do this and we need to do it right now. Can you tell that story and how you got this on the air in a matter of weeks, not months? We started the development of this network long before the launch. And I think had we not had so many creative minds in place, and so many people thinking about this and thinking about the possibilities that we would not have been able to launch as quickly as we did. You know, as you mentioned, even during the pandemic, the, the people that we had already been interviewing and talking to before we had to pause on the project were calling me and saying, hey, are you seeing the disproportionate impact 
that COVID is having on the black community, from mortality to hospitalizations to the economic impact. And even though none of them had active jobs at the moment, they were already thinking about this network and thinking about the kind of content that we could provide and the impact that we could have. So when we, when we had that conversation, and I will never forget that Saturday, us being on the phone, we knew that there was a need for this network before. We have a responsibility to put this network on now. And just calling people all over the country saying, we're going to do this. We're going to do this now. What have you been working on? And how quickly can we assemble this? And what surprised me is conversation after conversation, they hadn't stopped working on this network. They hadn't stopped thinking about this network. And and that's how we were able to hit the ground running because so many people were already emotionally invested in bringing this to life. They just needed the okay to do it. And you had a lot of allies internally and a lot of folks helping you. I, you know, I have to mention Doc Winter and Thea Mitchum, who were actively involved and uh, enormous proponents of this as well. Who on the outside really embraced this right away and said, yeah, I'm there for you? We were blessed with so many allies outside the company. I mean, first and foremost, I have to start with our founding partners, but not just uh, the founding partners, but their entire teams really embraced our team uh, and embraced the work that we were doing. Then I think of all of the the organizations and the people, you know, one thing that a lot of people don't know is we have a, a board of advisors that help us with not only our content, but just our, our great sounding boards. And we have everyone from Mayor Contrell, the mayor of New Orleans, to Artis Stevens, the, the first black CEO for Big Brothers Big Sisters, uh, the, the civic support that we had, the clients that, that were involved, and then just other, other journalists, other industry people who saw the vision that we had and were supportive of that, whether it was giving their time, giving their insights, uh, or just giving their support to our team. I also have to give a shout out to Chris Berry, who oversees the, the news operations for iHeartMedia in general. He, from day one, was not only our biggest fan, but but a great counselor as well. So today you're running one of our big divisions, also running the Black Information Network. Let's dig into your management insights. You've been a big proponent, and you've mentioned it already a few times, of mentoring. Why and what's the power of it? Well, it starts first and foremost with with the journey that I've been on. I know for a fact that I would not be here today if it wasn't for a a powerful group of mentors in my own life. And what I realized very early on is there is a difference between people who support you and people who will be not only your champion, but your biggest critic and give you perspective and give you honest feedback. And I think that that's the difference between having friends in the industry and having mentors. But what has struck me throughout the years is every time I attempt to thank them in any way, to a T, every mentor has said, I'm not doing this for thanks. I'm doing this because I believe in you and I want you to grow and succeed. And the only way that you could ever repay me is to do this for someone else. And over time, as I've started mentoring other people, both inside and outside the business, I now understand what those mentors meant because I realize that quite often, even though I'm mentoring someone else, I'm learning in the process and I'm becoming a a stronger person because of that relationship. How does corporate culture and your corporate values impact your business mission? It's the foundation for for everything that we do. And I remember when when you joined iHeartMedia and you started talking about our core values and our corporate values and uh, and the very first meeting that I attended and you had them up on these these big boards all over the room. Uh, And it was what you and Rich stand for. It's what the company was going to stand for. 
and it became the North Star for the company. And for me, who had worked for uh, a number of great organizations over the years, it was the first time that I'd ever seen any organization have that proclamation and make it such a steady and consistent part of everything that we do. And it has absolutely been, I think, one of the greatest things that you and Rich have, have brought to iHeartMedia. Talk about how you and your team think about the responsibilities of journalists to the communities they serve. It has been fascinating to watch and to learn from the team the stories that they cover, but more importantly, what those stories represent and the, the people that they represent. And radio in general has always been the original storyteller. It's been a fantastic uh, vehicle for sharing the impact that the world is having on people and people are having on the world. But watching the team at the Black Information Network look at not only what is the story that they're telling, but what does it represent? It can be anyone from uh, the, the young girl who won the National Spelling Bee, to a senior citizen, to, you know, someone with the latest invention. It not only represents what they're bringing to the world, but the hope that they bring to the Black community, the impact that they have on others within the community. And I think that's one of the things that we hear back most often about the network is we're not just reporting on the latest tragedy. We're reporting on the latest triumph as well. COVID changed how we all operate businesses. You launched the Black Information Network during COVID. How did that affect, I mean, being in this virtual world, how did that affect how you built the operation and the organization? And by the way, what's a lasting problem with it or what's a lasting benefit coming from that world? Our vision was to build out this giant news hub in Atlanta, and that would be the source of all things uh, BIN. And COVID changed everything. We, up until that point, never would have imagined a work-from-home scenario or work-from-anywhere scenario. And while I hate to say anything great came from COVID, one thing that did change the trajectory of this network was the sudden realization that we didn't have to have a group of people all sitting in the same room in Atlanta to make this network a reality. And the benefit of that has been, we now have journalists and reporters everywhere from New York City to Huntsville, Alabama. And it's not just about the range of places where we have studios and we have reporters, it's the perspectives that they bring. Um, you know, our reporting on black farmers may not have happened uh, or may not have sounded the way that it does if we didn't have black reporters in rural communities. And had we stuck to that original vision of a team in Atlanta, the network would most likely sound very different than it is. And I don't see us ever uh, going back to one centralized newsroom again. Uh, the, the advantages that we see now of having correspondence throughout the country, we just have a much more robust pipeline of stories and content because they're actually living in all of the communities that we're reporting on. Let's finish up on you. If you could, what advice would you give your 21-year-old self? It's an interesting question uh, and, and timely for me because, um, you know, I've got a, a son that's getting ready to leave the house and, uh, and it, much to his chagrin, I've been torturing him daily with all of the things that I want to make sure he knows before he goes out to the world. You didn't put and boxes so, in his room, did you? Oh, I was tempted to. I was very <laughs> tempted to, but uh, I, I gave him a reprieve. But, but during this process, so much of what I'm telling him uh, I'm thinking back to uh, to you know my own childhood and and my own adventure into the world, and something that I read recently that has really stood out to me was uh, understand the importance and the value of compounding, 
And when I was reading it, it was talking about, obviously, compounding interest and how you can build lifelong wealth if you're diligent uh, early on. And, And so I've shared that with him. But what I think is more important is the compounding of everything in life, investing not only financially, but investing in people, investing in yourself, investing in relationships early on. Uh, for me, I, I look back and, and I didn't do that. I certainly didn't do that financially, but also I was so focused on hopping from market to market uh, that while I had friendships in a lot of these towns, um, I always viewed it as, well, they're my friend from New York. They're my friend from Columbus. They're my friend from here. Um, and I and I wish that I would have taken more of those friendships and relationships over time with me uh, to a much deeper level. So I think that the the value of compounding everything in your life from early on uh, will will give you a much richer life, both financially and personally. Tony, we always end math and magic with a shout out to the analytics person we most admire, the math side of things, and to the most creative person, the magic side of business. So you have to pick two people, analytics, creative, math, and magic. Who are they? So for for the math side, um, it's, it's a recent entrant into my life. Um, there's a man named Rashad Tabakawala that a lot of people in marketing and advertising know. Um, he's an advisor, works with Publicis and, and a number of Fortune 500 companies. And, and I was fortunate enough to get introduced to him during the pandemic. And one thing that stood out to me was his ability to take data, to take research, to take all of the math side of of business and marketing and advertising and humanize it. And and I think that that's what he does best is humanize data and trends. And I think that that in and of itself is an art form uh, to be able to turn numbers into stories. On the magic side, something that has fascinated me is the work that Procter & Gamble does when it comes to the multicultural space. And even though that's a a CPG company, what has impressed me has been their ability to lean into powerful creative, to tell stories, uh, and particularly about women and minorities, uh, and, and to start conversations. And I think that that is one of the most creative responsibilities that I've seen any company do. You know what? You're the first one to give the magic shout out to a company, and uh, and I agree with you 100%. Tony, you've got an inspiring story filled with useful insights for others. Uh, your commitment to mentoring and, and helping others is definitely your hallmark. I want to give a shout out before we leave, of course, to Black Information Network. So if you don't have the iHeartRadio app, get it. If you have the iHeartRadio app, open it up and find the Black Information Network. You can listen to the national version, which covers the country, or you can go to individual versions for specific cities, which will have local news, traffic, and weather for those cities added in as well. I actually find it's my news source of choice because the news is so balanced and so comprehensive. Uh, A really fantastic product, and, and obviously one of the reasons I'm so happy to have you on today. Thanks for your contributions to our company, and uh, and thanks for your contributions to our communities, and congrats on all you've accomplished. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. Here are a few things I picked up in my conversation with Tony. One, good journalism doesn't hinge on getting people's blood pressure up. Tony's team doesn't chase clickbait. Instead, they focus on the stories that matter. Two, know the power of compounding. As Tony told his son, if you start investing early, and that's investing financially and in your personal relationships, you can enrich your life in every sense of the word. Three, don't let your vision be siloed. We didn't plan on launching the Black Information Network during the pandemic, but Tony kept his eye on current events to ensure he would launch the network when society needed it the most. I'm Bob Pittman. Thanks for listening. 
That's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. The show is hosted by Bob Pittman. Special thanks to Susan Ward for booking and wrangling our wonderful talent, which is no small feat. Marissa Brown for pulling research. Our editors, Derek Clements, Mary Dew, and Ryan Murdoch. Our producer, Morgan Lavoie. Our executive producer, Nikki Etor. And of course, Gail, Raul, Eric, Angel, Noel, and everyone who helped bring this show to your ears. Until next time. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health, but by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.